Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is The Last Defense. Um, this is your host, Hano Navi, and Michael Belowski. So thank you for joining us today. Um, we want to go ahead and get into talking about, for our first, very first podcast, what awakened us. And we'll talk about a few of the topics that we wanted to mention that helped us and helped inspire us to start this podcast as well as this blog. So, uh, Mike, can you give yourself a, an introduction? Tell us about what awakened you. Okay. Well, first of all, I'm a journalist. I wanted to be a journalist since I was really young. And when I was young, I thought I'd end up writing about like entertainment, like video games or movies, that kind of thing, sports. And then as I got older, I started, you know, following the news more and getting into, you know, more serious topics. But what really really got one at first was this course I took in college called Media Criticism. The title kind of speaks for itself. It's about analyzing, you know, media, the psychology of it, all the hidden messages that are in advertising and TV shows. And I mean, there's a million messages in any given ad, advertisement, commercial TV, movie, even games. So it's an interesting course. And one day I went to class and she dropped down this piece of paper. Um, it was a chart that she handed out to us. And it was basically a family tree of media ownership. So you got like your New York Times and your different, you know, magazines and TV stations at the bottom. And as you go up the tree, when you get to the grandparents and so on, that's your General Electric, that's your Viacom, that's your uh, Rupert Mur Murdoch and the big, you know, the big, uh, there's only four or five really uh, CEOs and companies that pretty much run 95% of the information you get. So that was quite an eye-opener for me. But So that kind of got me on the trail to figuring out that um, there's something wrong with the way that media works today. But what really got me going was 9-11. Not the event itself in 2001, but about five years later, me and a buddy of mine, we were out drinking in New York, and we went back to his apartment, and he's like, hey, do you want to watch this documentary on 9-11 called Lose Change? I'm like, all right, you know, sure, whatever. I, I didn't really hear any alternative theories about 9-11 at the time. I thought, like anybody, it was, you know, terrorists that flew the airplanes in the buildings, and, you know, now we got to look out for terrorists under our bed and around every corner, yada, yada, yada. And anyway, so I watched this documentary, and it totally blew my mind. It was basically this documentary alleges that 9-11, frankly, was an inside job. Or, well, I should say more accurately, it was um, elements within our government, maybe not our government itself, but elements on the inside that we can get it more into in a later podcast. But let me just, like... Because 9-11 is such a huge topic. I don't want to go too much into detail, but I'm just going to go over, like, the top three or four points that are wrong with 9-11, or wrong with the official story, I should say. So first point I have here, there's no indictment. There never was any indictment for Bin Laden for 9-11. Uh, that means he was never formally charged with 9-11 by a court, by a grand jury, and this is actually a direct quote from the FBI, uh, Rex Grossman, I forgot his official title, this guy Rex Grossman of the FBI, he said, 
quote, we have no, the reason there is no indictment for bin Laden is that we have no hard evidence connecting bin Laden to 9-11. That's kind of an astonishing quote from the FBI. And then, you know, there's no indictment. So that was a pretty big deal for me to learn that. And the other few things about 9-11 I want to go over real quick. Building 7. Building 7 is a 47-story skyscraper. It would be the tallest building in about 30-something states in the U.S. It's a pretty big deal. It fell at about 5 p.m. on 9-11. They announced on television that it was a demolition. They later denied that. And it fell at free fall speed very neatly into its own footprint. And uh, to be honest, for five years up until I saw this documentary, if you had asked me what happened to Building 7, I would have said they demolished it. That's just what they said on TV. And it turns out that actually denies that now. They still, well, officially they don't know what happened with Building 7. They won't give an answer one way or the other. But they deny that it was demolished, even though they announced it the day of 9-11 on TV, on CNN, and um, to the firefighters and police officers. But this is a pretty big deal because, you know, at the time I thought, oh, well, they demolished it. It turns out, if you know anything about demolition, it takes a week's or months probably for a skyscraper, probably months to wire a building for demolition. So with all the mayhem going on 9-11, it's kind of it's hard to believe that they would be able to wire a 47-story building for demolition in one day, in hours, not even one day, in, in I guess six hours or so. But at the time, I didn't really think about it. Another thing about 9-11 that was detailed in this documentary, Loose Change, is there was no airplane found at the Pentagon. Um, the whole building, not the big hole after the bu building collapsed, the initial hole in the building right after the impact was only several meters wide. There's no way a 747 gets in there. And there's no, there was no debris of an airplane found at the site. Fox News reported that live at the scene as well. And same thing in Pennsylvania. There was no airplane debris in the crater that they found. There was airplane debris found over eight miles supporting a report. I, th I, I want to say CNN, I'm not sure, but around 10.04 a.m. that morning, they announced they were going to shoot down a plane over Pennsylvania. That was obviously Flight 93. Um, it was obviously shot down. It didn't crash into that crater. So, and the other thing was, I used to, and this was also in the documentary, but I can also back this up firsthand. I worked in the news archives at NBC, transcribing old news footage. And snooping around, I looked at the footage for 9-11, and all the survivors, the firefighters and whatnot that were running from the buildings, they all said the same thing. They said bombs, bombs, bombs. Bombs were going off before, bombs were even going off before any planes hit the buildings. And as the buildings were falling, they said it was like pop, 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 pop. Um, you know, it was just – watch a video right now or after you're listening to us. Watch a video of those towers falling and ask yourself, does that look like buildings that are pancaking on top of themselves? Or does it look like buildings are blowing apart? Because the debris is just going all over the place. And if you watch closely in slow motion, you can actually see blast points blasting out below the – initial collapse. So anyway, basically after I watched this documentary, it blew my mind. I went home. I couldn't watch TV news anymore. I was in Times Square the next day. I was looking up at all these 
if you ever been to Times Square, it's, you know, they, they got the news ticker and all the ads everywhere. And I just felt like, ah, oh, it's so fake. You know, it, it ruined everything for me. Like for a while, I couldn't watch TV. You know, it took me a while to readjust. But after that, it opened up, to, to use a metaphor, it, it was like going down the rabbit hole in, uh, Cin- uh, not Cinderella, what, what do you call it? Uh, uh, Alice what, in Wonderland? Alice in Wonderland, right, right, right. <laughs> so it just opened up all these new things for me. Suddenly the idea of the government putting chemicals in our food or water wasn't a, wasn't a stretch anymore. Suddenly the idea of the government lying about the war in Iraq wasn't, you know, it, it wasn't a stretch anymore. Uh, the, the Kennedy assassination and that start started to make a lot more sense. Um, all the economic scandals that you hear about in the news about the one cent, you know, taking all of our money and abusing the economy, everything suddenly started to make more sense. And uh, so, yeah, 9-11 was basically the big thing that took me out of the matrix, so to speak. And that was about 2006, I think. It was five, yeah, five years after so that was the big thing for me. So uh, how, how about you? What, did, what was the big event that unlocked your mind from the Matrix? Okay, thought you never asked. No, I'm just kidding. Anyways, um, the thing that really unlocked me was um, also the, the World Trade Center's falling. Um, back in 2002, I remember watching it on TV when I had awakened in the morning, and for some reason, I was like, hmm, well, what movie are you guys watching? This looks really interesting. And they're like, uh, this isn't a movie. This is actually happening. So I just thought to myself, like, oh, my God, um, what's going on here? I started to investigate it shortly after the incident had occurred. And this travesty started to unlock a lot of, you know, covert and underhanded, you know, conspiracies that a lot of people said, especially about the Pentagon about how there was no debris in the Pentagon, but it was actually um, a small missile that may have um, caused the destruction there because the hole was way too small for it to have any debris, nor was there any debris found there anyways. So um, about 10 years later on, I decided to start studying abroad, um, and I found that in my major, you know, I had to do a lot of studies related to geopolitics and uh, Middle Eastern cultures and politics, as well as African cultures, and even European and American. And as I started to see these different players, these major players like the superpowers, the United States, the former Soviet Union, now what we know as the Commonwealth of Independent States and Russia, um, I started to see how they were fighting amongst themselves on the geopolitical battlefield. And one of the major issues that I started to see happened not too long ago. It was on October 11, 2011. And I saw that the Saudi Arabian ambassador had uh, a hit put out on him, and this was supposedly done by factions within the Iranian Revolutionary Guard, and they used a person from a Mexican drug cartel to do this. And I thought, not only did it sound absurd, but it didn't seem plausible. I've studied warfare a little bit, and I know that you don't 
tend to use third parties that often unless you really just want to exploit some transnational identities or groups. In that case, they were just using you know, this as a ploy to cover up the fact that Iran would want to possibly start a war with someone who's a translator, not even high up on the, on the echelon of um, different diplomats from Saudi Arabia or the United States. So it just seemed implausible, and it finally dawned upon me. I started studying what was known as the Hegelian dialectic. And this particular um, piece of philosophy basically shows how there is a problem-solution uh, synthesis equation. And what this equation does is it allows for a power, a world power, to create a problem. And then in turn, that um, allows for people to find a solution. And this creates a new law or a new change within the global field or, or in, within society, even domestic groups and even domestic or national interests. So say, for instance, what we saw in September 11th was the problem was these so-called al-Qaeda terrorists were destroying the United States. The solution was that we have to expand ourselves militarily in Afghanistan, Iraq, and now what we're trying to do in Iran in order to capture these terrorists. And this creates a synthesis. This creates um, essentially an imperial empire that has expanded a global government and the cracking down on people's rights within the United States themselves. We've seen this with the, with the National Defense Authorization Act, which was passed on New Year's Eve, ironically, as the fireworks were going off in the sky in Washington, D.C., people were essentially losing all of their rights, as Article 1031 states in the National Defense Authorization Act. It says that, you know, you can be detained, you can go to jail, you can go to jail even without trial or charge um, by a grand jury, and on top of this, you can be tortured and even killed, all within the name of fighting extremists and terrorists who are basically in the pockets of uh, the United States government and other NGO groups such as the Trilateral um, Commission and the United Nations. So one of the major things that I saw also was the Libya incident. I was watching Al Jazeera and as these people are protesting their rights and there starts another war, yet another war in the Middle East, the UN not only went without proper authorization, especially Barack Obama, to use drones. Uh, he didn't even approve it through Congress, so that was essentially an illegal war. But also, he decided to do it, and he used Al-Qaeda and um, other factions within the Libyan uh, Jamahiriya. And shortly after Libya had fallen and after Gaddafi was killed, People noticed that the Al-Qaeda flag was flying above the courthouse in Libya. And, Al, you know, no one's really brought this to attention, save for those who are actually paying attention to politics and what's going on in the media. Um, I find that it's a very unusual case, but it's not improbable. And so I, that it started to awaken me and that started to open my eyes up to a lot of what was going on in the media. I find out recently one of the editors stepped down and resigned from Al Jazeera because the coverage, the media coverage, was so biased. While, you know, Libya and places like Syria were having their 
protests, Bahrain themselves, they were having their own protests, and none of the people in Al Jazeera wanted to cover it. Neither did any of the Western media outlets want to cover it. And I felt to myself, this is, this is just one of many examples where bias comes into play into the media. And so this made me start to investigate for myself what precisely is going on. Um, not only has living abroad helped me to find that, but also looking at how other nations decide to organize themselves and how they decide to you know, become players in the international arena. Um, from living in China personally, I've seen that I've had almost more personal freedoms there than I have back in the United States, and this is supposedly the red dragon of the world. Um, speaking of China, I'd like to uh, see how the different BRICS nations have started working together. Uh, these are the five nations, uh, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. And um, these guys are creating a counterbalance in the geopolitical scale to people like NATO. And um, <clears throat> in the United Nations, they're beginning, in my opinion, they're starting to have a split and decision, especially within the UN Security Council, as well as the General Assembly. But these BRICS nations are now starting to talk about forming and developing their own central bank, and that really brought to my attention, you know, who's, really in ch who's either really in charge or who's actually becoming the stronger player in geopolitics. So, you know, moving right along, the last thing that really awakened me was starting to actually look at the bills. Look at the, at the bills that are getting passed within the United States. There's been a major hoopla about bills such as CISPA, SOPA, PIPA, uh, NDAA, as well as the ACTA, etc., etc. And all of these bills are basically getting passed covertly. And when they, you know, when they try to pass them, you know, it's created a fervor within the international community, especially with people. I've watched Occupy Wall Street. Um, videos and uh, live feeds, and these things have been just a press. You know, they, they set a precedent for you know martial law within the United States. I'm seeing people who are protesting peacefully get locked up in jail, and in one day in New York City, 700 people were thrown in jail over a protest. They're allowed the right to peaceful protest. They're allowed the right to um, civil disobedience according to the Constitution, but. Essentially, the Constitution has become the main document that a lot of these so-called, um, you know, treasonous people within the United States are fighting against. They're doing their best to erode the sovereignty and the um, solidarity of these people within the United States, and I think that it's a very uh, degrading situation. So, uh, do you have any more comments or questions before we move on? Yeah, I heard you talking about Libya, and I was looking at a Libyan war article that I published about a year ago. I just wanted to back up some of what you were saying. I have here, Abdul Hakim al-Hasidi told the Italian newspaper Il Sol 24-Or that he recruited a few dozen men from eastern Libya to fight U.S. forces in Iraq. The Washington Times reports that former al-Qaeda operatives – Noman Benotman estimates there are over 1,000 al-Qaeda fighters among the Libyan rebels. Even the Wall Street Journal admits there are, quote, flickers of al-Qaeda, end quote, reported by U.S. officials among the rebels. 
So I just wanted to back up that notion that the, as crazy as it sounds, the Al-Qaeda fighters are, in fact, um, frankly, working for us, and they're basically derived from the Mujahideen, which were fighters that fought the Russians during the 1980s Afghan-Russian war. And I actually transcribed a news piece about that when I was working at NBC, where they basically admitted that we trained these people, including bin Laden and other uh, people who were involved with the Libyan war. So anyway, I just wanted to reinforce that point because it's so difficult for people to grasp that we're actually working with al-Qaeda now. Yeah, absolutely. They're basically on the payroll of the CIA and uh, the United States. And as they say in geopolitics, there are no friends, only interests. So that's something that we should pay attention to. So as we see this Orwellian um, situation unfold within the United States and the general funding of terrorists abroad, as well as in places in Africa, if um, one is not familiar with Cold War strategy, it's important to note that a lot of the issues that happen in Africa, as well as in other places that are geostrategically, um, uh, geopolitically strategic, it is important to note that these people are put in by major superpowers and they are told to do whatever they can with the resources to keep them from people, to keep specific um, initiatives from getting passed. And so that's what the people are protesting against now. And they're a bit tired of it, and so am I. So that moves right. That moves us right into why we have created the last defense, uh, seeing as how it is important for us to spread the knowledge and the word of what is going on. We want to tell you exactly what our aims are and what our specific agenda is for this podcast as well as the blog itself. So the first thing is we want to create an awareness of current events. Sometimes it may be very difficult to find or have access to specific resources on the internet. So what we like to do is to help aggregate those and to present them to you in the form of not only the written word, but spoken word as well. We also want you to understand how to research yourself, not only just using media, outs, uh, media outlets and sources, but by using white papers, reliable sources and experts, rather than just solely lie, relying on what the media says. As we know, the media can be biased. They may add or they may outright lie about things. So it's important not only just to use um, the media, but to use as many resources as possible and to help you become better researchers as well. We want you to cite them in order to uh, remove the conspiracy theory stigma that oftentimes you know, pervades whenever people decide to talk about things that are questionable or need um, demanding resources in order to prove them. So what we like to do is to provide as many of those as possible so that you can do the fourth point. The fourth point is to disseminate the information and to teach social networking techniques. Now this is extremely important because once you have the knowledge, that's only half the battle, as G.I. Joe says, go Joe. Anyways, once you have the information, it's important to disseminate it and to uh, pass the buck. Because in order to wake people up and to get people aware of what's going on, we need to all work together. And we can do this through social networking, which on the downside, yes, it does cause people to get monitored more closely, as we've seen through the CISPA Act, which basically revokes 
uh, illegal searches and seizures, um, protection from those things on the internet. It's important for you to also know how to disseminate this information carefully without, you know, facing as much wrath or as um, much, you know, blowback from, you know, anyone that may want to monitor you or may want to try to um, <clears throat> use these things against you. So, lastly, we want you to see the biggest picture, the bigger picture, rather. We want you to understand exactly what's going on and how all of these different seemingly disjointed and unrelated uh, topics and issues are connected. It's important for us to know how, you know, eugenics may play into geopolitics or how geopolitics may play into domestic policy or how domestic policy may play into taxes and whatnot. So it's important for us to really understand this and to realize that we have to see the bigger picture in order for us to do something about it. So do you have any comments before we decide to end this? Yeah, I just want to read this quote from an article which was actually published on our website, so Last Defense 2012. It's about Lou Dobbs. He got, well, he was let, quote unquote, let go. He was essentially fired from CNN for talking about geopolitics and kind of things that um, we talk about on our website. And I won't get into those details, but I do want to share this quote from the article by David Rockefeller. I'm just going to read this part, uh, excerpt from the article. A revealing quote that illustrates the role of mainstream media today came from banking financier David Rockefeller when he addressed elite journalists at a meeting for the think tank organization, the Council on Foreign Relations in Baden-Baden, Germany, 1991. He said, it would have been impossible for us to develop our plan for the world if we had been subject to the lights of publicity during those years. But the world is now more sophisticated and prepared to march towards the world government, end quote. So he's basically saying that he requires the cooperation of the mainstream media for them to move forward with their agenda, in this case towards the world government, which is, again, something we'll talk about you know, more in the future. But I think with any issue we're talking about, be it economics, geopolitics, eugenics, anything we talk about, it's these problems really aren't possible without the cooperation of media. If people knew that there was stuff in their food and water, they wouldn't be buying it and drinking it and eating it. If people knew that, the, well, I guess people figured out there's something wrong with Wall Street, but they still don't quite know how they're doing it, and the media is a big part of that. And uh, the same thing with the geopolitics. People kind of know we're being lied to about the wars, but they don't quite understand how the ins and outs of geopolitics. They don't understand that we're um, the what was that the Hegelian dialect you were talking about before, earlier? Right, right. Um, you know how they they create problems or create the perception of a problem. You know they say there's a problem and then they say, oh, we got to go and invade and take the resources like Libya, like now Syria. So all the, any issue we talk about here, it basically seems to come down to the media, at least as far as them getting away with it goes. So I just wanted to finish with that, and I think that about sums it up. Okay, well, thanks for sharing that wonderful quote, because it does paint a picture as to what's going on within uh, the realm of media, and um, it gives us a bigger picture as to 
who our real enemy is, and that's why we call this the last defense, because we ourselves are the last defense. It's up to you, me, as well as the rest of the world that is involved in trying to protect themselves from this essential covert assault on us, and um, I think that it's important for us to start getting involved, organized, and to become informed. So that is basically our first podcast for you, just a brief introduction that we wanted to give you, so we'll start covering our topics as soon as possible. Thank you for listening, and in transmission. Yep. See you later.